This week on Between Two Ravens. Odin! Odin! Guess what? What? I got got great news. I convinced this giant to build us the greatest wall the world has ever seen. It won't cost us anything. And he would need to finish it by the summer, which is impossible. Oh, that's great news, Loki. So it's not going to cost us anything? It's going to take him forever to build it. There's no way he can finish it by the summer. So we get him to build the wall, which will take him forever. He gets nothing. Wait a second. What happens if he finishes it by summer, Loki? Well, I told him he would get the sun and the moon and Freya's hand in marriage. But he he said it would take him three seasons, so there's no way he can get him and his horse can get it done in one season. What the hell, Loki? Why did you tell the giant he could marry me? Shut up, Freya. It's a foolproof plan. What if he gets in done in time? Odin, you're not listening. Nothing like this could possibly be done in time. Trust me, there's absolutely nothing that could possibly go wrong with this plan. Loki gets impregnated by a horse. You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I've been, I've been busy with work and actually I had a, a psychology training this week that uh, actually sort of a, a synchronicity, as Carl Jung would say, that it sort of ties in to the topic we're talking about, talking about Loki and his horse. Who, uh, who did you speak to? It's a, just a, a training I do for a continuing education that it's, uh, it's talking about trauma and treatment for trauma, but somehow the story actually fits. I'll, I'll connect it at the end. So you're the learner, not the teacher. The learner, yep. Fantastic. But I guess uh, as far as like um, your speaking topics movie, uh, coming up on, on August 4th, you have a discussion with the Walled Garden. Yeah. So that's com- something completely separate. But yeah, on the, um, yeah, it's a Thursday, August 4th, talking about Albert Ellis, the famous psychologist who he actually is the founder of cognitive behavior therapy. I, I thought he was like the co-founder, but he was he was first. Yeah. I just realized after bringing it up that we discussed this last week and the actual recording is going to be eight days from now from the, from this recording. So when we record our episode next week, we were going to bring it up again, probably. So I apologize. So last week we discussed the story of Skadi's revenge after the Aesir Thor killed her father, Thiazi. So to reconcile with Skadi, the Aesir allowed her to marry a God of her choosing. However, solely based on the look of the God's feet. She had hoped to choose the beautiful boulder, so she chose the most beautiful feet. However, those feet actually belonged to the Vanir god of the sea, Njord, who in a previous episode very long ago, may we mentioned may have also been married to a sister of his, an unnamed sister. So the gods also promised to make Skadi laugh, which they succeeded in when Loki tied one end of a cord to a goat and the other end to his own testicles, resulting in a very humorous but rather disturbing game of tug-of-war. If they said something about uh, Skadi's uh, sense of humor, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she's choosing her husband based on feet, and she laughs at uh, you know, physical pain to a god's ball, so it's, yeah. it's fun. So if you remember two weeks ago, so the week before last week, we discussed how Skadi's father, Thiazi, forced Loki to kidnap the goddess Edun in the first place, which he did. This resulted in the gods being pissed off at Loki in the first place, 
created this whole chain of event that resulted in Thiazzi's death and uh, Skadi being pissed off at the Aesir. But the implication here is that it may have meant Loki felt obligated to nearly sacrifice his balls in the first place. This week, once again, we are going to tell another tale of how Loki is threatened by the gods to fix an issue that he created, this time resulting in another very disturbing situation for Loki. This week, once again, Loki is kind of trying to solve problems, but he creates more problems while he's trying to solve them, right? So that's, you know, fits in Loki's usual theme. And it's again, kind of like with Idun, it's this idea of Loki having to risk or sacrifice one of the goddesses, and then he's got to make up for it somehow. Um, that's just sort of a, the theme we see now of Loki like three weeks in a row. Yeah, definitely. The cause of and solution to all of life's yeah. problems or all of the Aesir's problems. Yeah. Awesome. So this story, um, similar to the last couple weeks, which featured in the Proceta, however, those episodes being from Scott Scoppermall, this one is from Gilfaganine, which is the portion of the Proceta that is before Scott Scoppermall. And this is going to be Gilfaganine chapter 42. Recently, when we discussed Scott Scoppermall, it was the humanized version of the god uh, Braggy speaking with another humanized version of the god Aegir. In Gilfaganine, it's relatively similar. However, there's a king that's speaking to three, I guess, versions or three personifications of the god Odin. So the king is Gilfi. He claims that his name is Gangleri, and he is speaking to High, just as High, and Third which, David, I'm pretty sure we um, realized in um, Grim the Small were all aspects of Odin. There, there may be some kind of similarity, like when it's Odin and his two brothers, right? It's sort of this, this trinity of the Norse king god, right? It's kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know why it's a thing, but it's a thing. Right? Yeah. Which alludes to the fact that Snorri Sturluson, the author of the Proceta, is Christian. But, you know, you have that like as that kind of like holy trinity thing and these like three beings on three thrones. Then, then it's the question, right, if, because uh, what it was... Um... Lod, Odin, and what was the other brother? Honir. Honir. That, uh, oh, did you um, say Hoder? I think so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's they, actually um, Hone the Door. That's what the, uh, that's what the god Honer is. Hone the Door. Hone the Door. <laughs> that, uh, that maybe they were, you know, in some older myths, but then I think Snorri really liked that Trinity idea. So he kept using it. Maybe that's a way to make sense of it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But anyway, so the chapter starts with, or this uh, this chapter starts with the continuation of the conversation between Gangleri, meaning King Gilfi, I'm pretty sure of Sweden, speaking to the three aspects of Odin. And Gilfi asked them, who owns the horse Sleipnir? In the prior chapter of Gilfaganine, which briefly discusses the daily battle in Valhalla, which is like the the Einarhar in Valhalla who are like battling every day and then feasting by night, which I think we discussed um, from the fan question uh, yeah. last week. Like practicing just to keep up their skills. Is that kind of what the Einarhar do? Yeah, I think they're just having fun, but they're also like preparing for Valhalla. Or, yeah, they're preparing for, preparing for Ragnarok. Right. And then at nighttime, they uh, they feast and like, you know, they they come back to life, that sort of thing. But anyway, like we discussed that last week because of the fan question. And then... Um, you know, the chapter before that in Gilfaganine, so chapter 41 mentions that. And they had a stanza from Grimnismal from the Poetic Edda in that portion of the Proceta where it mentions Sleipnir as being the best horse, which I know we've discussed in our episode on uh, Grimnismal, but I just wanted to kind of like show, talk about some of the continuation in how Snorri is describing things in Gilfaganine from the Proceta. Sleipnir's name comes up as the best horse, and then 
Gangleri or Gilfi ask who is this Sleipnir, and that kind of like prompts the story in the first place. Sorry, end rant, but we can continue, David. And just one thought I had is so yeah, Sean's going to kind of give the the summary from uh, the Prosetta. This is also one that uh, Neil Gaiman does really well in his Norse mythology book, and uh, it just has some yeah like extra detail of kind of the arguments back and forth between Odin and Loki and everybody, um, but it's really pretty consistent with how the Prosetta is written. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the aspects of Odin answer, it happens right after the beginning. So I know we mentioned uh, previously that we discussed the Norse timeline or like my hopefully finished at some point project where I put together a Norse timeline similar to the Zelda timeline. In doing so, understanding that there may not technically be a chronological order of events for the Norse stories, each story is supposed to represent something different and the timeline doesn't necessarily matter. But it can be, it can be Sean's timeline, how he puts them all together Exactly. So like in the, in our episode where you discuss like how Thor gets his hammer, every, every story where Thor has his hammer probably took place after that. But in this story, it mentions that it happened shortly after the beginning. So after the creation of, you know, pretty much everything after the gods were settled and they established Midgard and built Valhalla and everything else, a Smith arrived to Asgard. He offered to construct a fortress so solid against mountain trolls and frost giants even if they answered Midgard. I think that's right. And that's the part that's confusing, right? Is that he's saying, you know, it's such a strong wall that even if the mountain trolls or the frost giants entered Midgard, it could hold them off. But we're talking to the gods and we think they're in Asgard. And then if it's a fortress, maybe it's Valhalla is kind of like their castle, right? Their fortress. Where is Midgard in relation to Asgard? Like if the gods get into, if the giants get into Midgard, do they have like access to like the Bifrost or something to get into Asgard to attack the gods or something like that? But And that would it's make kind sense of if, like fuzzy. If Asgard is in the air, kind of above Midgard, maybe it all makes sense. But yeah. is there a wall made by giants around uh, Earth, which is Midgard? Uh, yeah, it's definitely confusing. Yeah, or higher up on Yggdrasil or something like that. But anyway, this smith arrives and offers to build them a uh, a wall, you know, around Asgard to help protect them. Asks for Freya's hand in marriage, and he also wanted the sun and the moon if he were to succeed in finishing this wall on time. The gods agree that they would give him what he requested if he completed the fortress in one winter. And I know it's a little fuzzy here, as we mentioned, but I believe it is winter when they make the deal. And the actual deal is to finish it by the first day of summer, which would be like roughly three seasons, if that that makes sense. However, if any part of the fortress was left unfinished, the builder or the smith would lose his part of the bargain. And no other man was allowed to help him in his work. He was, however, allowed to use his horse, Svadil Fari, which was a request granted by our friend Loki. And it was Loki that negotiated this, right? Where he comes up and he says, he's like, you know, I'll build the wall this soon. You know, it'll take me this much time and I get Freya. And Loki sort of like negotiates it to the time limit, something like that. Yeah, I think um, later it, there's, it kind of alludes to the fact that Loki may have also been the one saying oh yeah freya will marry you and right. you're like we'll also give you the sun and the moon etc which yeah. obviously enticed the uh the builder here one thing i want to mention here they are kind of auctioning they were kind of trying to get freya to marry somebody that she doesn't want again so we also saw this in thrym's sedida the episode where thor got his hammer stolen by thrym the giant and they wanted to just and the thrym demanded to marry freya to get thor's hammer back to which she told them to fuck off. So since this happened at the beginning, 
maybe Freya was pissed off in Thrymsvida because this has happened before and the gods are just like lo- using her as like a potential prospect to marry off to get and what they is, want. Right. And this is another time when that Thor is not here. That's part of why the giants brave enough to wander up to the gates is that <laughs> Thor is out in giant land fighting giants. That is true. Thor is not present when all this goes down. On the first day of winter, the builder got to work. And at nighttime, his horse, Svaldalfari, would haul in the stones, stones that were larger than the Aesir assumed he could pull. And then there's a quote here. The horse's feat of strength was twice that of the builder's. And that quote comes from Jesse Bayek's translation, which comes from the Penguin Classics version of the Prosetta, which I typically go over. So this is part where Loki clearly messed up when he's like, oh yeah, of course you can have your horse. We, we want the wall built, so you got to use a horse. You can't just drag the stones by yourself. And that was... Uh... Here in the story, it sort of mentions that the builder was comfortable making this deal with the gods because they were all present, as in there was more witnesses, but also because Thor was in the East fighting giants and trolls, which you just mentioned, David. The Builder, however, was also worried that Thor, with his reputation, would return in either case, which I found is I find very interesting because maybe the Builder thought that Thor and some of the other Aesir were not to be trusted, and they mm-hmm. did not follow the virtues of Havamal. However, would breaking deals, like if yeah. the gods were to just say, well, you're done, but we're not going to give you what you want, would that betray Havamal in the first place? That Thor's a bit impulsive, right? So I think I think it says in there that Odin, you know, swears on his uh, gold bracelet and on his spear, right? So he clearly had those weapons already, or those items uh, from that that myth. Yeah, that you'd think they'd talk Thor down, but sometimes Thor is too impulsive that uh, maybe he would kill a giant even. Is that a note from uh, Gaiman's version where like Odin swears on his spear or... Oh yeah, no, maybe I am mixing them up. I thought it was in the original. Yeah, <laughs> no, it could be. Maybe I missed that on my notes. But uh, he, he does, yeah, because it's a thing he does in other stories, right? So it would make sense. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, winter passed, and the building steadily advanced to where the builder was on pace to finish the construction in time. So with only three days left before summer, the stronghold's work had progressed right up to the stronghold's entrance. So at this point, which we typically see in our stories with Loki, the gods again begin to panic and held what seems to have been a council of some sort, and then once again realized that Loki, son of Lafi, was at fault because he added the stipulation that the builder could marry Freya if he succeeded. So you do realize here that it was Loki's idea, and that the skies, the sky in the heavens would be destroyed if they lost the sun and the moon. So This is where the Aesir realized, well, Loki fucked up again. He promised something he shouldn't, and now we're all going to pay for it. So we need to threaten him. He gets these incredible kind of outcomes, but the things he's willing to sacrifice, when they're not necessarily his to sacrifice, and uh, yeah, making strong statements, (laughs) trying to get the outcome he wants to see. So anyway, the gods threaten him, and they said that they were going to kill him unless he devised a plan to foil the builder's attempts to finish the stronghold in time. Loki feared for his life and promised to find a way to keep the Builder from succeeding. So this is where Loki gets to work and figures it out again. That evening, the Builder went out with Svaldalfari to gather stones. However, Loki, in the form of a mare in heat, leapt from the nearby forest to distract the male horse. Svaldalfari became frantic and chased after Loki into the forest. The builder then tried to stop his steed, but failed. 
The horses ran all evening and night, and the work was delayed. Yeah, so like Loki, Loki yeah. was to really trying to get away. He kept running, also just to keep him distracted as long as possible. Right. Exactly. So the next day, the builder realized that he would not complete his work in time and then flew into a giant's rage. So you learn here that the builder was probably a giant. The Aesir then realized they were facing a mountain giant, which I guess is a certain tribe of Yotun. They no longer respected their oaths after they found this out. And then they called upon Thor, who arrived immediately, probably from the east, from Jotunheim. And Thor threw his hammer towards the giants and, quote, paid the builder his wages, but not in the sun and the moon, end quote. And then the giant's skull broke into pieces. I feel like there was another one of those kind of like Thor one-liners as he smashes somebody in the past. Although I can't remember <laughs> if that was actually in the story or I made up one of those. But, uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's a good fan fiction moment. Yeah, exactly. We can just come up with whatever we want. That could be our Twitter question of the week. What did Thor say when he killed the builder? The yeah. unnamed yeah. giants. It's interesting. Um, they say they no longer respected the oath, but also it is that he hasn't built it in time, right? So it's, I mean, that was the oath, right? So I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, no it's hard to- him anything once he's, yeah, broken the- agreement yeah. yeah but you get the, you get the vibe that like something happens like in their minds when they found that it was actually a mountain giant which it's funny that they didn't understand this already but yeah <laughs> i think that goes to right loki is i think loki's entirely giant right is he any part uh Aesir, or is he all Jotun? so i'm pretty sure it's it actually says like son of laufey yeah. i'm pretty sure that laufey is his mother in the actual Norse myths whereas like in the mcu laufey is his father and i'm pretty sure yeah. laufey is a giantess and I think his father's a giant as well, but it's a little harder to figure out who his father is. I think it's vague in the sources, but um, in any case that he's, is the way a lot of the giants can do the shape-shifting that also Loki has this, you know, sorcerer shape-shifting ability. Yeah, he turns into a horse this time. And I know in previous yeah. episodes, he had to like borrow, uh, you know, falcon shapes from, I think like Frigg or Freya, but it seems to be a consistent thing where like the gods or the giants are able to, you know, yeah. change into certain animals, like based on the moment. Oh yeah. Real quick, let me... Uh, just pull this up. Okay. So this says that Loki's, I believe, father is Farbati and his mother is Laufey. But yeah, so it seems yeah, Loki is the son of Farbati and Laufey. So anyway. Yeah, the giant was sent to Niflheim, right? So he got hit with the hammer so hard that he went th- through the ground probably and ended up in Niflheim. Yeah. And I thought that this was interesting because I know when we discuss our discuss the nine worlds on those two episodes like we we did indicate that the nine worlds probably don't exist or like the nine worlds exist but we don't know what they are we see the phrase nine worlds however we discussed how like niflheim and hell might be the same place and i think we also mentioned that um vanaheim and uh the land of the elves might also be the same place or something like that but this says that the giant was sent to niflheim which indicates that hell and Niflheim are the same places as well because the dead would either go to like Valhalla or hell or Freya's joint of a Folkvanger. But in this case, like who knows what happens with giants, but ultimately this also could just be like a joke where, oh yeah, and then his head got hit so hard that he went to Niflheim. Right. I think it's also interesting because the dwarves are from Niflheim and that maybe they thought this guy was a dwarf at first, right? Because the builders, people who build things well are often dwarves. And then somehow that the, the gods were easily confused between the two, right? Just the way we're confused between the two. So that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it gets really good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what happens with Loki and uh, Svaldilfari resulted in 
the birth of Sleipnir, Loki gave birth to a cult who had eight legs and was gray. So they consummated a, a union between the two, Loki and Svadalfari. Where this is obviously funny is that, oh, Loki is Sleipnir's mother. Right. However, right. but there's there's like also a darker implication here. I'm sorry, go ahead. That, that he shape shifts into a horse and like it's it's not just that he looks like a horse. He's he's a, a full horse mama. He potentially got raped and impregnated because he was kind of forced into doing this by the Aesir. As you, you're mentioning that darker implication, but yeah, that he was trying to give away Freya and then like this is his consequence. Yeah. And so like I mentioned earlier, does like Loki deserve this? Like the answer is probably not, but if he was like saying, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, fuck over Freya, just like I fucked over Sith at one time, I'm going to like put Freya in a position where she has to marry this uh, builder. But like, maybe he really, really thought that the builder would not finish in time. So he was like, yeah, yeah, you can marry Freya, whatever. But like, obviously he was being an asshole, but like, you kind of get the vibe based on the last stories that like the gods are kind of overcompensating for Loki's like pranks, if that makes sense. Like they're kind of being assholes to Loki. Right, no, that Loki always has, you know, at least potentially very serious consequences, right? They're always threatening either to break his bones or to sewing his lips shut, chopping his head off, right? That Loki's willing to kind of gamble with those things, right? That's, it's an interesting aspect of him. And <laughs> I think I might've mentioned it before, that idea of, you know, Loki being something kind of related to, to fate, almost like he's an agent of fate or something like that, right? That it could have gone both ways, but then it works out the way it did but just barely, right? I don't know. Well, I, I think I think that's definitely true. And, and we'll see this in future episodes, like where Loki is directly involved in like the lead up to Ragnarok. He has a reason to be pissed off the gods when it's all said and done. He's He is like this asshole prankster. And like he, in one story, gets like drunk and insults everyone. However, like you can tell like the gods like are kind of like not bullying Loki, but they, they always like look to him as like the little shithead that, uh, you know, can't do anything right. And it kind of like is like this reverse bullying, if that makes sense. Oh, and that's interesting then that, yeah, he's got something to prove, right? Why is he always, you know, trying to do these amazing things and impress everybody? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good conversation. And uh, I, I had one other note um, on the story in the pro setup, but like, I just kind of want to review, review the four stories that we have so far with Loki, of which we sort of just did. Like we mentioned Loki and the gifts of the gods, where Loki was an asshole. He cut off Sif's hair. The gods threaten him and they end up with amazing gifts as a result, yeah. including like Odin's spear, you know, Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, etc. Then in this episode, Loki suggests that Freya and the sun and the moon can be given to this builder for finishing this walls in a potential scenario he did not see actually happening with the builder actually finishing the walls in time. The gods once again threaten to kill him unless he fixes it, which he did. So then you can like put the uh, chronological order together and assume that the story with Edun's apples and Skadi's revenge were next, which we've discussed in the previous two weeks. In the Edun's apples episode, Loki orchestrates Edun's capture only after his life would be spared if he agreed to it. So the gods, this is after like Thiazi like had to spare his life, but Thiazi demanded Edun be captured so he can get Edun's apples. The gods once again threaten Loki and Loki has to get Edun back, which he does. And this ultimately results in Thiazi's death, which is the death of a powerful enemy or a giant in this case. And then Skadi's revenge as a continuation of that, Loki nearly loses his balls, as I mentioned earlier. The gods end up allowing Skadi to marry into the Aesir Vienner family. And then you can make the claim that they now hold dominion over Thrymheim, 
which was Thiazzi's place in the mountains, but now it's Skadi's place in the mountains. So just wanted to sum up the story like with Loki thus far in the series. Yeah. It's interesting that part of Loki kind of bringing the god and the goddess together, or the you know the, the male and the female together, right? And that he's also, there's always this part where he's tied in with, yeah, sacrificing something of the, one of the goddesses, right? With Sif, it's her hair, right? With Idun, it's the apples that, Idun being kind of married off to a giant, very similar to Freya. So sometimes I wonder if they're almost the same story, but done in different ways, right? A common, another common thing going back to Loki and fate is, I wonder if he thinks he knows the future or if he's able to kind of divine the future because both who he thinks is going to win the, uh, who makes the gifts of the gods or if he's going to finish the wall on time, right? That Loki is predicting the future, who's going to win every time, right? Kind of like a gambler. Is this something yeah. very Loki related? Again, I definitely think he's an agent of fate. Uh, he's an agent of fate, um, as you mentioned earlier. Like he, uh, there's something going on. Like if you if you like look at what started all this, did Loki just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to play a prank on Sif. It's going to be funny, and I know people are going to be pissed off, but that's going to be the end of it. Or did he like kind of do this knowing it was going to lead to something? Maybe he didn't know the specifics, but like. Maybe he had a reason, or maybe it is like, yeah, the little voice in his head told him that's what he needs to do, and that's his uh, divination from fate, right? Yeah, yeah. But you you do know that Odin like knows what's going to happen at Ragnarok because he finds it out. Like at some point, he probably is going to he's going to convey that to the the rest of the Aesir. Maybe like the gods understand that Loki is going to be a part of that, yeah. And so they also like hold this like disdain over him too. But it's an interesting dynamic when you think about Loki and then the rest of the Aesir, but. You also think about the dynamic between Odin, the Allfather, and the rest of the Aesir. And then we also know that Odin and Loki are blood brothers. And so like there's like some like aspect of fate that is kind of keeping this all together. It's interesting because the um I'm just reminded of the runes, that there's a rune for the dice cup, which is related to fate, and kind of back to that idea Loki is a gambler, right? Yeah. And it's also the rune used to represent a womb giving birth. And then we have Loki here as uh, with Slepnir, right? It actually reminded me we had a great uh, Twitter response. We didn't. We should have talked about it at the the start of the episode. A great great thought from a fan that I'd never quite heard of Loki being connected with the Kenaz rune, which is a supposed to be like a shape of a K, but it's um usually tied to things like heat and fire. And I, I'd always heard of it being the rune with Freya, like heat and passion and mm. things like that. But that Loki is this thing that changes things up, right? Kind of like you burn down the forest and then it grows back. That kind of chaotic aspect of Loki. So just kind of an odd thought they're tying in loki prophecy runes yeah no it's 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 pretty cool to think about and that, that's one of the things that i that kind of draws me to uh, uh norse mythology in general and i know you and i have had like many conversations on fate and yeah. uh you had your own episode like on fate that was i think like an amazing episode so i think it's just this overlying underlying theme i should say of these stories like of you know fate and like where we're all going to end up and like what we can do about it if anything it's an interesting philosophy question about, you know, what is fate, right? Is fate predetermined or do we have free will? And that the myths really informed my thinking on it, right? Yeah, that I really, I thought about that for a while. And a lot of it's not, not just from reading philosophy. It really is uh, these ideas in the myths. Yeah. So anyway, I just, one last thing to tie up this story. Um, in the Proceta, and again, Snorri Strollson does this often. He did this, la- he did this last week, uh, in last week's episode, excuse me. He often will include a quote from a poem that ended up being in the Poetic Edda. So the Poetic Edda was like kind of put together 50 years after the pro- after Snorri put together the Prose Edda, but we know those poems from the Poetic Edda were potentially hundreds of years old, and Snorri quotes them often. 
so at the end of this story that results in the birth of Sleipnir, he quotes two stanzas from Sibyl's prophecy, which we know as Volaspa, which is the prophecy of the Cirrus. So he focuses on stanzas 25 and 26. Like I kind of looked into this and I find this pretty interesting because we briefly went over this in our episode on the Aesir Vanir War. So I put I put down um, Bayek's translation from the Prosetta and then my version, uh, Jackson Crawford's of the Poetic Edda. And I'm going to go ahead and read Bayek's just to keep it consistent. It says, then all the powerful gods went to their thrones of fate, the gods most sacred, and questioned themselves, who had infused all the air with treachery and to the race of giants given odds made. The appendix says odds made refers to Freya by the word mayor, which means maiden or virgin, as well as wife or beloved. Odd is potentially Odin, which we know Odin is married to Frigg. And I know we've discussed previously, we haven't had an episode on this yet if we have one, but a lot of people think that Frigg and Freya have the same origins and are potentially the same goddess. Yeah. And I think it goes back that maybe these stories have always been this confusing, right? That just people knew these gods, they kind of knew how the stories went. And then you, why well, you have such this diversity, right? Of Is it, yeah, is Idun kind of the same as Freya, right? Is Frigg kind of the same as Freya? What was Odin's brother's name again? Was it Had? A lad. Well, yeah. Lod. So, well, That's no, one, Odin's one brothers. Possibly it's his brother. Yeah. But. Odin's brothers in the Prosetta of Villian Vey. However, the same story that Villian Vey feature in, in the Prosetta of the Creation Myth, in the Poetic Edda, it's Lod in, in a Honir, who we mentioned earlier. And mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a theory that we're going to probably discuss in a short soon where Lod actually may be Loki. And that kind of like also ties in. Loki and Odin not being blood brothers, but also brothers. Yeah. Sorry, I know that wasn't the question you were asking, but I just want no, to throw that. No, that's there. that's that's exactly it. And that um, as we're talking about, you know, are they three aspects of Odin, high, just as high, and third, or is it you know, are Odin and his brothers yeah. the same person or different people? And it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, the quote continues into the next stanza. It says, "Broken were oaths, the words and pledges." all the powerful agreements that had passed between them. Thor alone killed, bursting with fury. He seldom sits still when he hears such things. So what's interesting is if you remember our episode on the Aesir Vanir War, the war started when the Aesir see this figure, Gulveg, who is probably Freya as well. Odin is a little bit infatuated by her in her like mystery and her like use of satyr magic. Yeah. And ultimately, they they mistrust her and they try to kill her three times, but they fail. And that ultimately like starts the war. That results in like the exchange of hostages, like with Honor, um, Mimir, etc. That we also discussed. These stanzas of the of Volaspa, it clearly talks about the prelude to the Aesir Vanir War, but then it gets like straight into this story that we discussed this week. It's as like broken were oaths, and like that could tie into either the Aesir Vanir War or this one, and. I just think it's funny because in the Aesir Vanir War, you read about the Vanir trampling like the walls of Asgard or like destroying the walls of Asgard. And I'm wondering if like this could be like looked at as a hypothetical sequel where the walls of Asgard need to be put back together. Well, it's I really that line that uh, that Thor, uh, he seldom sits when he hears such things, right? Makes it almost sounds like it's like was his wife that he's, he's that pissed off, right? That she's going to be uh, sold off to a giant, right? 
that was a line when I was reading the poem, the uh, Vospa with Ashley, where I didn't remember actually that that's that this is the myth it's referring to, right? Where uh, I was like, yeah, the Thor, you know, the oaths are broken, you know, that that's Odin's kind of thing as the king is uh, making oaths. But then that, yeah, Thor is impulsive. He kills giants. I completely forgot that that line, yeah, refers to this myth, right? So that's all the depth, but clearly it does, right? So it's all the depth in the Norse mythology. And it's all cool. Like, I love like how there's like little inconsistencies here that like makes like, that allows like stupid fanboys like me to say, oh, well, what about this? Maybe this ties into here. And like, you know, I just love it. Real quick, wanted to just shout out um, this other book that I'm sure will include the show notes for me to kind of like understand you know, what may have been going on. I actually did, uh, you know, look into, for the first time, Noah Tesner's, uh, the Poetic Edda Study Guide. Noah Tesner, um, he wrote this book, but he also is the creator of the History of Vikings podcast, which we've mentioned previously, I think. But like, ultimately, I I really haven't, we haven't discussed him too much. We typically like discuss like Jackson Crawford or the Nordic Mythology podcast, but I was able to like look into his uh, study guide for those, those stanzas of Olaspa and it was able to kind of like shine a light on like what was going on. So we'll, we'll include the show notes there. No. Yeah. That really is a study guide helps, right? We're, we're a little bit of a study guide, but we're kind of just (laughs) wandering around in the dark too. We're also two idiots. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So David, what are your thoughts? No, so that um, I had a training this week on trauma, kind of what, what is that helps people when they've been through traumatic experiences. And it's a weird connection I made in any case, but that we're, one of the things they were talking about is equine assisted therapy, which is a very common idea out here in New Mexico, but maybe it's kind of unusual on the East Coast that pe- people are getting treatment for their mental health and somehow with horses, right? And it's this idea, you know, it kind of makes sense like an emotional support animal that a you know, horse, it's, it's nice to go pet a horse, right? It's, it's going to feel good. You know, there's an emotional connection maybe with the animal, something like that. They were really talking about actually the, the depth of what it really means. So it's a little bit like the way, you know, a, a police, a, you know, a, a police dog is like really a police officer, right? The police horse is like really well-trained. It's a police horse, right? That a therapy horse is really kind of like, it is the therapist in a way. There's also an actual therapist there that is, you know, kind of orienting everybody to the process, but that the horse really can notice your emotions, right? That's kind of what they're not just evolved, but bred to do, right? One is that they see threats, right? They're a prey animal. They have to be on the lookout for any kind of threats coming their way. And then also as we've been breeding them for, you know, if you're riding on a horse that the horse really responds to you intuitively, right? You can't talk to a horse. You can't, it does, can't make sense of your words, but it's sort of, how does it know what you want, right? And somewhat that's by leading it with reins, but also, you know, horses were bred before we had kind of the bridle and everything. It would just be a person on their back and kind of then emotional connection. It's this idea that- yeah. The horses really pick up whether they hear your heartbeat or they just kind of see these things. They pick up all the little aspects of things like fear or danger, or, you know, if, if you're on their back and you're really worried, like they need to go fast, they know they need to go really fast. Then how does it tie into therapy, right? One, one aspect, there's, there's a lot of different aspects of ways it can help, but if a person has PTSD, they have trauma and they're really afraid, then the horse is wondering why they're so nervous. Or if they're very angry, the horse is like, you're kind of threatening. And the horse doesn't want you to get near them, right? It's kind of like that idea when people try to break a horse, you have to be gentle. You have to get close to them to calm them, right? Because they can, they can see through it if you're trying to trick them. It goes back to kind of Loki, right? Being the trickster. The horse, you know, it's life or death for the horse, whether it knows that you're a, a predator or a friend, right? Mm-hmm. So that by, you get feedback from the horse, right? If you're getting your emotions in a good place, right? When you're really anxious, the horse is anxious. It's going to stay away from you. When you get yourself calm, it'll come closer to you. So it's kind of, there's, uh, other ways like neurofeedback things where you can view your blood pressure, you can view your uh, your heart rate, your brain waves, things like that. 
So as you're trying to use skills, regulate your anxiety, you can see that feedback from a computer, but that's what you get from the horse. And so I never knew that before. And the thought is, how does this connect back to Loki and him getting pregnant with a horse, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll connect it all together. It all fits my, my theory of a Norse, uh, Norse mythological psychology and, and trauma. But that, as we talked about the world tree before, right? And actually, we haven't mentioned so far that one of the things that makes Sleipnir the best horse is not just being fast, but also that it's, it's Odin's horse. And that's how Odin travels the nine realms, that that horse can get him anywhere in the nine realms, right? Mm. So this idea that the, the nine realms and the world tree, it's a metaphor kind of for your body or almost your nervous system in a way that your spine and the nerves look kind of like a tree with roots and branches, right? You look at all these connections on a, a neuron. So that's kind of, again, that's, that's an image, right? It's a thing that's happening in the brain, but it's a symbol, just like our mythology symbol, right? The, the stories we tell ourselves about what's happening when someone's trying to say, treat trauma or make some kind of change in their, their mind. So why, why does it all actually then connect back, at least for me, right? How do I connect it together? There was another book by uh, Peter Levine called something like uh, Facing the Tiger or Taming the Tiger is this idea that in us, we're evolved as a prey animal first, right? We were, if we were monkeys living in trees, we were prey. Everything wanted to eat us, right? And then we evolved and we became the predator too, that we had the spear and we could chase down animals and hunt them. So that we have both aspects inside of us, right? That's the prey animal that's afraid that just runs. That's the fight or flight. Mostly prey animals, you just want to flee, but a predator you can fight, right? And so that it's this idea, maybe there's sort of like a horse, they'll call it like the, the three-part brain is your, your brainstem, the middle like mammal brain, and then our human brain kind of grows on top of this uh, neurology. I might have mentioned that in an early, like first season episode. So it's the idea, maybe there's a part of your brain that's kind of like a horse, a part of your brain that's kind of like the tiger. And then you're the one thinking about all these things, trying to ride on the horse, basically. Yeah. Does that make any sense, John? Does any of it start to kind of connect? Or I know I'm bringing some very different ideas together. Peter Levine's idea is that you have to recognize the prey animal inside yourself because you can't just talk to it. You can't just think and say like, this thing's not scary. Stop being afraid. You have to connect with that part of yourself, just like it's a horse that you're going to ride. No more. I'm thinking about just what's, what Sleipnir represents. Well, no, no. And that makes, that makes sense too. Like Sleipnir represents something obviously like importance of the gods. Yeah. It's, it's how Odin travels to the different realms. And then if the different realms are things we talked about, like the the dwarves that are resentful and underground and the, uh, the giants that are chaos, right. And making sense of chaos. Right. And uh, yeah. And I'm also wondering, cause I know we discussed Sleipnir in the episode with uh, Thor's duel with uh, Hrungnir yeah. and we talked about how Odin may have like orchestrated this whole thing. He got into this like argument saying, well, my horse Sleipnir is better. Yeah. And right. I want to say Hrungnir's horse uh, like was, I think it was Gullfaxi. Yeah. Gold something. Yeah. Yeah, it was like they, they challenged each other to like a race or something or like they, a competition that Slavenir won. You almost get the vibe that if Odin like orchestrated that, which we think that he did yeah. in an effort to like see what his son Thor would do, you almost get the vibe that Slavenir was in on it. And Slavenir oh, yeah. was like so loyal to Odin, like yeah. being the best horse and like that they, they this whole like lesson resulted from it. I'm not sure if like that's a stretch on my end, but I feel like that's, I, I kind of see where you may be going with that. I don't know. No, the- but there's something, and then it also goes back this, you know, what is this thing about horse therapy, right? But it's a thing that, you know, clearly people would have had, you know, the Viking age, right? They had parts of the Viking age, they had horses, right? And that that's a thing you would practice doing all the time, for, forming that connection with a horse. Maybe mostly the wealthy people could actually afford horses, maybe not everybody. But that, you know, in, in our history, right, we, we've evolved alongside them. 
that that was a thing we did. And then now we have no contact with these animals anymore at all, right? Maybe we have dogs, but it's a different kind of relationship with the dog, right? The dogs really want to like you. The horse, you really have to convince them that you're safe, right? So that's one of those thoughts about how, how does this all connect to like Viking psychology, right? That, mm-hmm. that they had horse therapy all the time. They got to yeah practice getting themselves to a place that they weren't a threat to a horse. Maybe that somehow ties into Loki turning himself into a horse, but I can't quite make that connection. That's a jump. Yeah. Ideas that like, it, it makes sense to me why it's connected, but I, uh, maybe I'll have to write an article to try to bring the ideas actually together. Make it makes more sense. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed our intro. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that we're going to have to live with for better or for, or the listener is going to have to live with for better or for worse. I think we don't do it all the time so they can put up with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Awesome. Good night, John. Yeah. Good night. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for listening.